Good morning, Pathway Church. Good to see you guys this morning. You look pretty good for nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, this is an amazing week that we're getting ready to participate in. Uh, the Aspire Conference on Saturday for the women's going to be great. And Brian and Cindy Bennett are going to be with us. And that's going to be an incredible week. Uh, I know that, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a long journey for, for this church. I was thinking you guys have gone through three interim pastors. Wow, that's a lot of us. And, uh, and so I know that you're ready for the, for the real deal. <laughs> and that's really exciting, exciting to me. Um, I know that this has been a difficult season because of COVID, that some of you, many of you online uh, are, are thinking, well, we don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about the family. Well, we're going to try and help that. On Tuesday, there will be a, an email blast that will go out that uh, will give you information about Brian and Cindy and their incredible family, uh, some of his basic beliefs, and uh, he'll answer some questions uh, that are being asked of him. It's going to be an exciting time, a good way for you to know him. I know some of you who are in my age category, you know, computers aren't your best thing. And if you don't have an eight-year-old around to help you figure it out, you know, sometimes you struggle. So just in case you don't get the e-blast, I just wanted to give you uh, my impressions of, of uh, Brian Bennett. Uh, I've spent several hours talking to him on the phone, uh, plus some time when he was here. I love the guy. Uh, he is a great guy. Uh, I love his deep devotion to Jesus. Uh, I love that he wants as many people as possible to come to know Christ. I love his passion, and I love his humble spirit. I truly believe he's the right man for this particular season in the life of Pathway Church. So that's my two cents worth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yesterday was kind of amazing day as many people throughout the day came and went but uh, gathered here for a period of 12 hours to pray for ourselves for our church and for our nation it was uh, the time I was here was really a powerful time we joined with Christ followers all around the country as we were praying for renewal and for revival and for healing for our land and so I want to begin before I preach this morning to just take a moment to to lead you in corporate prayer so would you pray with me Father, sometimes as we look at our country, it seems impossible. There's so much division, uh, so much hatred, so much brokenness. There's racial divides. There's economic divides. There's so many things that seem, how do we fix it? How do we make it well? And yet, Lord, we know that nothing is impossible with you. In fact, you specialize in impossible situations. So today, Lord, I just want to pray, first of all, that you'll change my heart, change the course of the nation as you crowd us towards you. Lord, for those many people today who identify themselves as, as atheists or agnostics, help them to realize that's a dead-end street, that we were created with a hope for something more, for another world, for another place. And you place that within us, that deep desire. And so, Lord, we know that we find our purpose and our meaning in you. And, Lord, it's not about a political party or being morally righteous or super or superior to someone else. It's about humbling ourselves before God 
and asking for your direction and your guidance. And that's what we're doing this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Several years ago in Kentucky, uh, by now you figured out I'm from Kentucky, uh, there was a race for the House of Representatives. And it was decided by, by 400 votes. In other words, if 401 more people had voted out of the thousands of people who didn't vote, the direction of the election could have been changed. With margins in the millions, uh, sometimes we think it doesn't really matter if I vote. Maybe that's the reason many of us don't vote. And maybe it's because we believe nothing will really change whoever (laughs) gets in. You know, it won't really make a difference. Let's face it, so much of life seems so big and so overwhelming, it doesn't seem to matter much what we do. If you give a homeless person 20 bucks, is that really going to change their life? If I give my tithe and it's 50 bucks or 100 bucks or even 500 bucks, if the weekly budget is $23,000, what difference will that really make? I think I'll just keep it. Drop a penny on the floor. Does that penny really matter? You know, people walk by pennies all the time, right? If it's not a quarter, nobody's bending down. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. We're told that uh, people under 40 never pick up pennies. You know who picks up pennies? People over 70. The ones that can't bend down, you know, it's, that's a real process to get down there to pick, up a, to pick up a penny. And why do they do it? Because they remember a time when they had nothing and uh, there, there was nothing. E.E. E. Kardaski uh, was a good friend of mine. He used to visit our church in Clearwater and he was an interesting guy, uh, a real rarity. He was a multi-millionaire pastor. Those two words don't usually go together. Uh, He didn't make his money pastoring. He made his money in real estate. But but he was a really interesting guy. And he would come in with this big RV that was probably $150,000 in. It'd be a quarter of a million now. And the whole back of it was full of empty Dr. Pepper bottles. I go, Dr. Kardaski, why these bottles? He goes, well, in Wichita, they pay five cents for the return bottles. Here, it's only two cents. I'm thinking, you're a multimillionaire and you're worried about three cents. That's kind of interesting. The attitude that we sometimes have toward voting or empty pot bottles reflect a larger thought and a more important thought. One life, one voice, doesn't really matter. Do you believe that you can make a difference? Do you believe that your attitude and your response to people in need can really make a difference? I want you to hear some verses from Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17 in the New Living Testament. It says this, Be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, But try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. I'm convinced that many people today are living their lives as fools. We're missing opportunities to change the world. We're oblivious to the difference that one single life surrendered to God can make. 
This morning, I want us to better understand what it means, don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's one of my favorite passages because it reminds me that my feeble efforts combined with God's incredible power can change the world. It's eternity changing stuff. Remember Noah? You know, the guy that built the big boat and put all the animals on it, you know? His story's in Genesis chapter 6. This is what it says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every indication of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them all the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I ever made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What was it about Noah that found favor in God's eyes? Was he smarter? Was he braver? Was he more powerful? He was just an ordinary guy that God uses to change the world. Now, I'm certain that when Noah looked around at all the mess in the world and all the evil people and all the, the horrible things that were taking place, he wondered, what difference can I make? Why am I bothering to try to follow God when nobody else is? Nobody else is making the effort. Noah becomes the poster child of how one single life can literally not just change the world, it can save the world. Somehow Noah overcame the temptation to say, I don't have enough. I don't know enough. He overcame the temptation to conform to the people around him. Do you think there were a few doubters in his own family saying, Dad, what are you doing? Have you lost it? Is this early dementia? You're building this big old thing out in the middle of nowhere. What are you doing? It's crazy. The pressure to conform, to minimize our impact on the world is tremendous for all of us. Noah was trying to understand what the Lord wanted him to do. One of the greatest lies of Satan is that one life can't make a difference. It's a lie he whispers in our ear. You can't do it. You can't change anything. Just go along. Just, just carry on. The result of that lie are people failing to follow God's purpose. Paul talks about it in terms of sowing seeds to please ourselves and sowing seeds to please the Spirit. I love how Galatians 6, 7, and 8 is translated in the message. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Noah had a choice to, to follow God's plan or to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the problems all around him. 
How do you build a boat? Why do you build a boat? How much difference can one life make? Not a superstar life, just an ordinary life like yours and like mine. Our answer to that question will determine the harvest of our life. Please hear that. Our answer to that question, what difference can my life make, will determine the harvest of our life. Danny Cook came from uh, an interesting family. They went all the way back to the Mayflower, 1620. And uh, there were several preachers in Danny's family. And, and uh, as he began to research the genealogy of his family, he expected to see that life of faith leading right up to his doorstep. So he was a little surprised when he got to the 16th and 17th, 17th and 18th century of his family and found out they had a lot of criminals. They had a lot of suicides. They had some insanity. He goes, how in the world did this family, this Cook family, ever become a family of faith? And it wasn't until he saw the obituary of his great-great-grandmother that he understood. When she was eight years old, in tough circumstances, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. And it said in her obituary that she loved to go around everywhere she went singing hymns of praise. And from that point forward in the story of the Cook family, the trajectory began to change. That woman's life of faith and joy, a little over a century ago, changed a family. Do you think the person who led that little eight-year-old girl to Christ realized that she would someday change her whole family for centuries to come and bring people into faith who would bring other people into faith? Do you think he knew that? Or she knew that, whoever led her? One obedient life to Christ can change the world. West Stafford, Dr. West Stafford has a book called Too Small to Ignore. If you've never read it, it's a great book. It's kind of an autobiography. Uh, West Stafford was the son of a missionary on the Ivory Coast of Africa in 1950s. And he said that he had memories of his dad sitting in a little shed with a tin roof, painstakingly translating the Bible into the language of the people in that particular place in the world. And he goes, sometimes he got to go with his dad, and it was so exciting when people for the first time understood Jesus in their own language and could read the Bible in their own language and to see the change in their lives. He goes, it was like heaven on earth. It was amazing. But as Wes grew older, along with his other family siblings, they had to travel several hundred miles to a missionary school where they would be educated. And it was there that his life changed for the worst. Uh, he discovered later that the people who were the teachers at the missionary school had failed on the field. And so they had put them in to a teaching position for children. And the couple who ran the school were very, very harsh. Wes said that one week he was whipped 16 times on his legs, bringing whelps every time. Children would raise their hand to go to the restroom and they would make them sit there until they wet themselves. It was a horrible thing of child abuse and uh, horrific child intimidation. Wes said that uh, before they would leave to go back to their homes, 
the teachers would call the kids in and say, say nothing about what happens here, because if you do, they will take your parents off the missions field, and you'll be responsible for thousands of Africans going to hell. Wow. Wes kept that horrible secret because he didn't want thousands of Africans going to hell. He writes that I can never enjoy a meal again because at dinner time, if they fed me something I didn't like, I would literally throw up and they would just put it back on the plate again. And that process happened many, many times. And he goes, today, I can't really enjoy eating. You would expect somebody going through that to be one messed up life, right? Bitter, angry. <laughs> Instead, God used that abuse, not caused that abuse, used that abuse to make West Stafford incredibly attuned to the needs and total vulnerability of children. And because of that, he started an organization called Compassion International. You may have heard of it. It helps hundreds of thousands of children all around the world to have a safe place to learn, to be loved, and to be fed. I've been on, the, for many years, I was on the Heart to Honduras board, and uh, we had three Internet, Compassion International churches. And I've seen it work. I've seen the amazing things as these kids receive food and receive care on a daily basis. West points out that fully half of the world are children and teenagers. And what makes that significant is two-thirds of the people who come to Christ do so before the age of 18. So if I put 20 people up here on this stage, 13 of them would have come to Christ before they were 18. And in fact, by the time someone reaches 21, if they have not received Christ, the chances of receiving Christ goes down to 23%. Those are staggering statistics. West Stafford turned his pain and his defenselessness as a child into a passion for God that God has used to change cultures and people all around the world. One man fully devoted to Christ can change the world. One life does not change anything is the greatest lie of Satan. One life fully devoted to Christ, can change your world. You can change your world. In John 15, the scripture that was read this morning, <clears throat> it talked about remaining in me, but in another translation, it says abide in me, and it says it 10 times. If you abide in me, what he is trying to tell us that he does not want me to do more for him. He wants me to do more with him. Abide in me. God doesn't need you to do more for him. He wants you to do more with him. Why do the scriptures report that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? At this point, he had not built an ark, but he had continued to listen and act when he heard the voice of God. A few years ago, I drew out a chart of the life of Charlie Smith. Charlie was a dear friend of mine, uh, interesting guy. He shaved his head before it was popular like 30 years ago, and, and he was always this, just, just this crazy, crazy guy who loved Jesus with, with all of his heart. And uh, his passion was for the least of these. His passion caused him to start a program called Heart, 
at Warner University where students could be trained for six months on what it's like to live in a third world country and to prepare them to go as missionaries around the world. And his passion for heart led him into a couple of other mission organizations until he founded Heart to Honduras. And he had this whole idea of a Project Global Village where a little village could sustain itself with all the people, uh, with a garden and, and food in, in a little village area. And he's planted some of those in the country. Charlie died at age 58. And the impact of his life has touched thousands of people, including mine. Charlie was always the voice in my head, the uh, prophetic voice. I'd be sitting in my office in Lexington, Charlie would call and he goes, Steve, you're sitting there with all that money at that church, you need to give more to hard time tourists. <laughs> I go, Charlie, we're, we're supporting you guys pretty heavy. He goes, you can do more. And, uh, you know, and uh, we usually did. And when Charlie found out he had a disease that could not be cured, he had that pulmonary deal where your lungs basically turned to rock. And uh, he said, I want to go and be with the people I love. So he went to Honduras. And the children would come every morning and sing to him. And when he died, the Hondurans went up on the mountain where he wanted to be buried. And they had no power tools. And for 18 hours... They used picks and shovels to dig through solid rock to make a place for Charlie. And Charlie's last request was, when you bury me, bury me in my boxer shorts because a Honduran can use my jeans. One life can change the world. I was on a mission trip to Ecuador just a few years ago. Met two young guys named Jonathan and Carlos and their life was pretty well laid out. They were poor kids uh, helping on a ranch. They weren't, they didn't own it. They just worked there. They were scraping by. Their family was scraping by. Their father was an alcoholic and abusive. And it looked like they were going to go down that path. And the leader of our group was a guy named Ricardo. And he's, an, he's this amazing evangelist. And Ricardo, in his busy time leading a missions trip, befriended 13-year-old Jonathan and talked to him about Jesus. And Jonathan came to Christ. And then his brother Carlos, who was 15, he didn't like white people. He had experienced prejudice in his country. And he was overwhelmed by the love of our group. And he came to Christ. And then his mom and dad came to Christ. And after we left, his father called Ricardo to come over he goes I got five relatives here today and he led them to Christ when we do what God asks us to do we can change not only our world but the worlds of those around us in amazing ways don't act thoughtlessly but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do if you've ever wondered does my life really matter what difference will it make if I'm faithful to God? Think about a passionate man named Charlie Smith. Think about a frightened young boy named Weff Stafford. Think about Danny Cook's great-grandmother singing hymns and changing her family for centuries. Then ask yourself, 
what could Christ do with my life if I were fully devoted and totally his? In Galatians, Paul writes, let us not weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Six years ago, I received an email. I get lots of emails, and this was an interesting one. It came from Brazil. And when I got the email, I was asked uh, if I would be interested in finding a home for Rafael. Rafael was this young Brazilian kid that just graduated from high school, and he wanted to be a pilot. And he was going to pilot school in uh, Daytona. And so when I got the email, I'm thinking, I started to discard it, and I thought, well, man, you got to pray about this. So I talked to Brenda. I said, we got this big house. Our kids are gone. Why don't we take Raphael in for a year? I'd like to say Brenda was jumping up and down with excitement. She wasn't, but we, we did it. <laughs> and it was amazing. Raphael came to church every Sunday, and he started bringing all of his friends. You know, and I, the picture you have here, there's a girl from Columbia. There's Park from South Korea. Raphael's the guy in the white T-shirt, and those two beautiful little girls are my granddaughters. But... Uh, he started bringing all these people to church. And one of the first ones that he brought to church was his flight instructor, Mohammed. And Mohammed comes uh, every week and he sits on the second row and he takes notes. He's from Iran. He was born on 9-11 and he's studying to be a pilot. Think about that. You know? and, and, and so he, he, he's there every week and I'm noticing he's taking notes. And I'm thinking, what's the deal here? You know? and, and finally, one Sunday he goes, pastor can we have lunch I go yeah so we went with Raphael and we're sitting down and he goes I want to become a Christian I go do you know what that means he goes I think so and so we talked about it and I said what will this mean to you and he goes well my family's very strict Muslims he goes I I probably can't go home again and uh, so we talked about that and he made that decision and we baptized him in 2015 I think we have the video of that need to breathe deeply. <laughs> this is his testimony. Hello, my name is Mohammed. I'm from Iran, and I have been here 17 months almost. During this time, because of my best friend, I decided to come to church, but after I came here, I was very interested. It was so exciting, so touching for me. All the people, they were happy. They start with music, which is related to God and Jesus. I couldn't see anyone upset, which is impossible when you go to the mosque in my country. I found my God here and my father, as the pastor said, Jesus said, I knock at the door. You just need to open the door. And it is true. I asked something from him and he promised, and I promised to him if it happened, I would follow his way all my life. And actually he doesn't know me, but he did for me what, as I said, as he said. And I asked another thing, which was very personal. And it happened. So he did according to what he said. And now I'm doing what I promised him. So now I am one of his friends. And I will do everything I can to make him happy. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to read this stuff by myself. But forgive me, I'm shy. So that's why I asked the pastor to read this instead of me. For you guys. And I'm so happy just to start my new life now. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing.
Mohammed is now married and living in the eastern part of the United States. Uh, he still responds to us regularly on Facebook and watches Pathway services quite often on live stream. Rafael is a pilot in Brazil. Uh, his parents have become two of our dearest friends and have literally just enriched our lives in so many ways. But more importantly, so many people have come to Christ because of Raphael. One life changing the world. This morning, perhaps you feel trapped, your future set, your family's been the way it's been forever, for generations. There seems to be no way out. I want you to understand that God can change those patterns in our lives. He can change the destructive pattern in your life. He can take your life, and if you give it to him, he can do what he wants to do in your life. He can change the trajectory of your family, literally for generations to come. One of my favorite Bible stories is found in all the Gospels, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke just tell us about the fish and loaves. They don't tell us the source where they came from. It's John who tells us that it comes from most unlikely source, John 6, 9. There was a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? In Jesus' day, children were hardly recognized or even valued until they were 12 years old. Jesus inviting people and children to come to him was highly unusual. Rabbis just didn't do that. And this young boy comes offering his lunch. It's not enough. But he gave Jesus what he had. Jesus always takes our not enough and does more than we ever dreamed possible. When we trust God to offer our not enough life, he'll do through us his multiplication that always amazes us, that we never expected, but gives us great joy. Lives forever changed because of one life fully devoted to God. Will you be the next life fully devoted to Him? You see, life is full of miracles. God is forever touching lives, changing lives, answering prayers. Some people see it, and some people miss it. Don't miss out on God's miracles for your life and for your family. Finish the task you've been putting off. Sow the seeds he's asked you to sow. And wait for his harvest. Ecclesiastes says, God will make all things beautiful for you in his time. Would you pray with me? Father, today, only one life soon is past. Only what's done for God will last. Lord, today, many of us look at our lives and we say, it's not enough. I'm not smart enough, talented enough, brave enough. I can't speak very well. Uh, I'm in such a mess. I don't even know where to start. We start by giving you everything we have. Giving you our not enough and letting you change it and change us. Today, Lord, we offer you our lives. We wait to see the incredible things you will do with these not enough lives. In Christ's name, amen.
2,000 years ago, Jesus met with the 12 people in an upper room, and they were not ready. I mean, they were not ready. They're, they're arguing over who's going to wash feet. There's no servant here to do this. You know, I'm not washing your feet, Peter. I'm not washing your feet, John. You know, we're, we're above that. You know, they weren't ready. Jesus, facing the cross, wraps a towel around his waist and kneels, and he washes their feet. He taught them something. We're not called to be bosses. We're called to be servants. Every one of us, even leaders, are called to be servant leaders with a servant heart. That's what he asked us to be. They weren't good enough. They weren't ready. But he shared with them a meal that day. You got these things. Let's see if you still remember how to do this. Let's see if I remember how to do this. Uh-oh. Somewhere in here, there's a one on top that I never get. Don't make fun of me. I'm, I'm there. I got it. I got it. Okay, these wafers, are, they're not special. They're not even good. <laughs> but these wafers represent Christ's body. And when his spirit dwells in us, it changes everything. It changes everything. This is my body. As often as you partake of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the cup, he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. You know, if you pour out your blood, you can't live, right? When you lose all your blood, you're going to die. But when you have his blood flowing in your veins, you're going to live forever. You're going to live forever. So as we take today, remember, it's his power in us that changes the world. Father, with grateful hearts, we thank you. And today we give you our not enough lives and await your promise to change the world. In your name we pray. Amen. you guys stand with me one last time let's sing together the fire
turned his face away as wounds which mother chose Father, thank you for who you are again this morning. Lord, give you all the praise and the honor you deserve, Lord. As we go forward today, God, I just pray that, that you'd continue to transform us, make us more like you, Father. And God, give us opportunities to witness, Father, to share your truth with our loved ones. Give us spiritual ears to hear what you would have to say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen.